We preach best, but we need to learn most. I hope that's true today. It's actually a quote from a movie about Martin Luther. In the film, Luther is told this by his mentor during a time of spiritual doubt. He, right before he's sent off to seminary to become a preacher. And when I saw the gospel text for this week, I shared Luther's response to his mentor. I'd feel like a fraud preaching about this verse. This morning's gospel story is a parable Jesus tells about prayer. Normally when Jesus tells a parable in the gospels, everyone, including the disciples, nods along, pretends to understand, until someone gets the nerve up to go, Jesus, great story, oh, moving, beautiful. What were you talking about? Um, and this time, however, unlike almost all the other parables, we are told the point, the reason for the story, before it's even told. Luke only does this two times in the entire gospel, both in chapter 18 and both about prayer. I guess he knows that we need all the help we can get. The typical response of wrestling with Jesus' story to understand it is gone. According to Luke, Jesus told the disciples this parable so they would know about their need to pray always and to not lose heart or lose faith or give up. And then he bookends the story with Jesus asking the question, when the Son of Man returns, Will he even find faith on earth? Wow. But, honestly, the story is a great story. If you are trying to teach people something, a short, funny story is the perfect way to go about it. It's, this story is short, it's distinct, it's funny, it has an absurd character. It's how you tell a story for people to remember. Jesus only needs two characters for the story, a widow and a judge. The widow is a typical character type that we see in the Bible. It's a person with no power who God has consistently, throughout Scripture, commanded people to care for. Any halfway decent person tends to get mad when they hear about a widow being taken advantage of. It doesn't, you don't have to be especially altruistic to care about a widow. They have no one else to care for them. And so... It just seems like the right thing to do. And so Jesus' second character is just this over-the-top caricature of an uncaring, selfish judge. He neither fears God nor cares about people. I mean, could he be more blunt, like over-the-top? He even talks to himself about how much he doesn't care. He's weighing it out like, you know, God tells me to care about the widows, but I don't. And I see these other judges and people, and they seem to care about widows, but uh, good on them. And so the only reason he takes the time to address this woman's issues is for his own sake and sanity. And this style of storytelling where Jesus puts this ridiculously bad example in a place that we would normally put God is meant to exemplify just how much better in the opposite direction God is. God is just. God will give justice to his chosen people, Jesus says. And a funny thing about this story, and I like the translation we read this morning, 
because the Greek word that we use as attack sometimes gets translated as to wear out. She's going to wear me out. But you could also translate it, she's going to give me a black eye. She is going to punch me in the street if I don't give up and just give this woman justice. I like to picture the widow as the granny from the Tweety Bird cartoons. She's just carrying around a big purse full of bricks and just like beating this judge as he goes to work and as he comes home. Maybe there's an anvil in there. That sounds more right. Jesus is giving this story. I mean, that's how the disciples would have heard it. It's a Looney Tunes over-the-top example. It's a great story because it's an easy one to bring to mind. Like, hmm, prayer. What am I supposed Oh, the persistent widow and the unjust judge. That's right. I'm sure the disciples later in life were like, what would the widow do? You know, keep praying. It was a funny way to remember their need to pray and to remind them that God will be faithful to answer their prayers and to keep communicating with God and praying to God even when things seem to take time and injustice seems to be prevailing. So if I seem to like this story so much, which I do, why, as I mentioned at the beginning, would I feel like a fraud preaching this story? Well, because right now, I am in the long time of injustice, or at least what feels like injustice. I'm wrapped up by the unfairness of life. And God feels uncomfortably similar to the unjust judge to me right now. If I'm honest, I feel like I'm at the point of losing heart. So the first verse, when Jesus told his disciples that they should pray always and not give up, that felt like daggers to me. It felt a little too close to home. Because I feel like the last few times that I have prayed and prayed and prayed in all earnestness and begged God to intercede to work a miracle that I believed he could perform, he has simply chosen not to. And I hear this story in the context of having prayed for my mom's health constantly for three months as I was moving back to the United States, only to get back and have her pass away the next day. And I hear this story in the context of my cousins who lost their father last November, only to suddenly also lose their mother two weeks ago. So to follow up the first verse with a story of a woman who got justice, even from an unjust judge, to me, it's hard to hear. It sounds like a cruel fairy tale. Like, I guess I just wasn't persistent enough, or didn't have faith enough, or God just didn't feel like it enough to intervene. It's just not the story that I needed to hear about persevering in prayer right now. And my perspective of prayer is off. I'd admit that. But what I needed to hear was what happens to a faithful man who prays, earnestly prays, believes that a miracle can come, and then has to deal with it when it doesn't. So I asked some friends and family this week, and on a side note, our faith is communal, as Katie said. It is not meant to be lived alone, and we need each other, especially when we are in hard times and in dark places. 
But I asked them, what do I do with this idea to pray constantly and have faith that God will act? Because that's a struggle for me right now. And one of them said, what about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? And I was like, cool, yeah, no, I, mm, I've only been reading this text for a week, and I didn't even make that connection. Good thing I'm a preacher. So I did. I looked at Jesus praying at the Mount of Olives. It's just a few chapters further along in Luke. Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. You're welcome to look at it later as you take your bookmark. And we see Jesus. It's during the week before his death. And he had this routine of bringing his disciples back to the Mount of Olives to pray at night. And he tells them to pray. And he says, pray that you don't come into the time of trial. Or as we prayed this morning, lead us not into temptation. And Jesus then went off a little ways. And he prayed, God, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And while he's praying, we see an angel come down to him. And it says the angel gave him strength. And you may think that the angel actually gave him strength to endure what was to come. To get through the suffering that he had to do during his passion, during his crucifixion. But that's not how the text reads. The angel gave him strength to pray all the more earnestly. That's what I needed to hear. That was the context I could hear. Pray constantly and don't lose heart. For the most holy man of all time to pray to God to take this suffering away, but not his will, but God's be done. And for God to send him an angel to say, don't lose heart. Keep praying. Stay connected to me. I am with you. But my will be done. That preached to me. And another thing we see is all these times that the Bible talks about prayer, the word struggle keeps coming up. In the passage I just mentioned of Jesus praying at the Mount of Olives, there's a word that sometimes is translated as anguish, but the Greek word is agony. I'm guessing some of you might be able to hear or get the English word agony. But the Greek word comes with this concept of to struggle for, to wrestle with. And that I can relate to. We see it so clearly throughout Scripture from so many examples. From this week's Old Testament text, Jacob getting his new name of Israel because he struggled with God. For the early disciples and other early Christians seen throughout Scripture, there's this constant connection of prayer and struggle and struggling in prayer. And that I can do. I can pray. It won't be pretty, and there's going to be some angry words between me and God. But God can handle that. And so I will stay connected with him. And in reading this week for this sermon, one of the commentaries I read put it really well. It said, prayer is faith in action. 
It is not an optical exercise in piety carried out to demonstrate one's relationship with God. It is the relationship with God. The way one prays, therefore, reveals that relationship. If the disciples do not cry out to the Lord day and night, they do not have faith because that is what faith does. So going back to Jesus' question, when he asks, will he find faith when he returns? He's asking if we'll still be praying. Until Jesus teaches his disciples and us and me what it means to have faith, to be faithful and trust in God. It's praying. It's prayer. Struggling at it when we're tired, when we're angry, or beaten down, and on the verge of losing heart. It's staying connected to God. Throughout history, we have the witnesses of saints and lesser thans, and one thing they almost all agree on is prayer is hard. So if this story today hits you in a way that seems less than encouraging, I understand. But I want you to hear, please keep struggling. God will not delay long, though it can feel like it sometimes. I know God is faithful, and what we see in part, he sees in the whole.